Praise the Lord. Everybody make sure that you get a note card. Is there anyone that doesn't have a note card that needs one? Thank you, Brother Bryce, and thank you, Brother Jordan. Amen. Welcome to week three. You've made it. <laughs> um, tonight, we're not going to do prayer requests. Um, we are going to open with prayer, but I'm not going to take requests tonight just because I think we might be a little crunch for time. I have a lot to get to tonight. Um, but if you do have a need, why don't you just signify that with an uplifted hand? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray before we get started tonight. Oh, God, Lord Jesus, you see and you know every hand that went up in this place, God. You know our hearts, Lord. You know our lives. You know the things that we're struggling with, the things that we're dealing with. God, I ask that you would move in each of these situations, Lord. God, I don't know specifically what they are, but I know, Lord, that there is no mountain too big for you, God. There is no giant too strong that you can't take care of, Lord. I'm asking, God, that you would move in this place, Lord, move in these situations. Let them become a testimony unto you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So um, I think pretty much everyone, there are a couple of new faces, but um, if you don't know what the note card is for, that is for questions. If you have questions as we go along, feel free to raise your hand. If you raise your hand and don't get my attention, feel free to get a little wild, do some jumping jacks, whatever you have to do um, for me to see you. But if you have a question that you don't feel comfortable sharing with everyone, um, you can write it down on that card. We'll all turn in our cards at the end, whether they're blank or whether they have a question written on them. Um, and then I will do my best to finish those up next week. So this is your last chance if you want to ask an anonymous question. Um, amen. Everyone get that? Okay. Um, so I had some questions from last week that I think we covered as the lesson went on. So if I don't address your question, that's probably why. But if you're still confused about it, come see me or even write it down again um, and I can address it. I just wasn't sure which ones we had covered and which ones we hadn't. So um, we have two questions that I have from last week. Number one was, if someone wants to understand the King James but can't, would you recommend reading the King James and then read the New King James? Um, so I would say that's certainly an option if you think it's going to help you. Um, but honestly, kind of going along the same lines of what we talked about last week, if you really struggle with understanding the King James, then it may not be the best starting point for you, and that's okay. Um, if it's easier for you to understand the New King James, it's perfectly fine for you to start there, um, or any other translation, really. Um, it's 100% okay as long as you are putting into practice all that we're talking about over this class, um, all these methods to make sure that whatever translation you're reading, that it's correct and that your understanding is correct. So to, in my opinion, it's not as much about the version that you're reading as it is the fact that you're understanding what the word is saying, understanding the intent, understanding the meaning. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, second question was, 
What is your favorite or most recommended Bible study to give to brand new people? This is a great question, and I'm probably about to give you an answer that you were not really looking for, because I would say it depends. Um, to me, it depends on the person. It depends on the intent, what it is that you're trying to do. Um, personally, if someone wants an in-depth study, or I think that maybe they're ready for an in-depth study of the Word, I really like Search for Truth, personally. Um, it's a little bit old in some ways. It may be a little outdated, but it goes through the whole Bible, um, and it's, it's tested and proven. Um, I've taught it several times. I think it's really good. Um, if it's a situation where I need a more basic study, or maybe I want to discuss something that's really specific, like the plan of salvation, that's something I want to get to right away, um, then honestly, I usually use my own and kind of tailor it to that person and where I know that they're at, which is why it's important before you try to start Bible studies with people that you get to know them and that you connect with them so that you can judge where are they at. Are they, have they never even read a word in the Bible? Or maybe they're a Christian, but they're just not familiar with apostolic doctrine. So it's important for you to know where they're at and what they need. Um, so if it's something really specific, I usually do my own. Um, but with that being said, I know that there are tons and tons of resources that the UPC provides. Um, Pentecostal Publishing House has Bible studies that cover all age groups, all walks of life, um, and I'm sure that they are fantastic. I just personally haven't really had the chance to use very many of them. Um, so definitely worth checking out. Hopefully all of us have Bible studies on the brain, right? It's not enough for just us to study the Word. We want to share that with other people. Um, so definitely worth checking out their website. Um, you can get there by going to PentecostalPublishing.com. Um, Search for Truth is on there, and like I said, they have several, several others. So um, any questions in regards to my two kind of vague answers? No? All right. Yes. Thank you, Brother Pete and Brother Rubio. You guys are awesome. Um, so I want to give a quick recap, maybe for those who couldn't make it last week, um, of what we talked about just a couple of minutes here. Um, so last week we got started with hermeneutics. So hermeneutics is just the study of Bible translation and interpretation. Okay, um, and by the way, if you ever want these slides or my notes, just let me know and, and I can email them to you or maybe we can find a way to print them out. Um, so hermeneutics is the study of Bible translation and interpretation. Um, last week, if you'll remember, we focused on the third and the fourth bullet points there. So exegesis and interpretation. Or in other words, what does the text say and what does it mean? This week, we're going to focus on three others. The author, the era, and validation. So we know how to figure out what the text says, what it means. Now we're going to figure out how to determine who said it, um, when did they say it, what time period were they writing in, and how do I know that that's what it means, learning how to validate our research and our information.
I'm stuck. Ah, there we go. Okay, another quick recap. So we talked about exegesis um, last week. What does the text say? What does it mean? And the resource that I gave you was a concordance. So whether that's a printed concordance or electronic copy. So printed, what you'd be looking for is the Strong's exhaustive concordance of the Bible. Or if you're okay using technology and you're okay not spending money because it's free, you can download the Blue Letter Bible app, which, is, which includes a concordance as well as several other resources that we're going to talk about today. Um, so again, just to recap, what the Strong's Concordance does is it breaks down every single word or phrase in the Hebrew, every single word or phrase in the Greek, and assigns a number to it. So no matter what version of the Bible you're reading, if you run across a word or a phrase that you don't understand, or maybe you just want a little more information on, all you have to do is figure out that Strong's number. Once you have that number, you can look up that information, and even if you don't speak Greek or Hebrew, you can find out exactly what they meant by that. Um, so you saw these screens last week, but I just wanted to run through them again. So within the Blue Letter Bible app, this is how you would pull up the concordance. So right at the top there um, is where you're going to find your scripture reference. So if you click on that, It'll bring up the Old and New Testament books. You can choose which one you want and then click right on the chapter that you're interested in. I'm too short, apparently. There we go. Okay. So from there, it'll bring up the text. You can just click on the number, and that's going to bring up all the reference information you could ever need. And that concordance is right at the top. Um, I found out last week that the Android version of the app doesn't say concordance. It just says interlinear, but that is the same thing. Why they call it that, I don't know. Um, but if you clicked on that and then scroll down to the word that you want and click on that Strong's number, it will take you to a definition screen. Um, and that's going to show you, break up every part of the scripture um, and show you all the different ways that this specific Greek or Hebrew word is used in scripture. So you can kind of skim through and find a definition that you can tell fits the scripture that you're reading and use that to supplement your study. So you know exactly not just what the translators meant, not just what they said, but what the original Bible said. Amen? So are there any questions on how to use a concordance, whether it's the physical copy or this Blue Letter Bible app? Anyone? No? Okay, well, if you have any questions, maybe you're not comfortable asking them, come see me after class, because once you know how to, to work this, it will absolutely change the way that you study Scripture. Where'd I find the app? 
Google. <laughs> so way back in the day before it was an app, I feel old saying that, I used to use the website all the time. So, um, so now that we've kind of recapped what we talk about, talked about last week, tonight I want to talk to you about biblical research, okay? Um, so if you'll remember, one of the true-false questions I asked you in week one um, to kick us off was whether or not we can truly understand the full meaning of Scripture without knowing history. Um, and my answer to that is no. I don't think that you can fully understand Scripture without knowing history and without knowing context. Um, now, you can certainly get a partial understanding of a verse without knowing anything else, um, but I don't think that you can unlock the full meaning and intent of that verse without context. Um, hopefully you remember I talked in the first week about the table of showbread and how that bread was sprinkled with frankincense and it was bitter. Um, so just like that bread, we can lick the frankincense off the top, right? We can, we can lick the frankincense off the top and maybe get a little bit, but we won't experience the true fullness of the word without going deeper. And I think that that includes history. It includes context. Um, it's kind of like that Spanish proverb that I mentioned to you all last week. Does anybody remember what it was? Gift horse. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? So without you knowing the historical and the cultural context of that phrase, it was meaningless to you, right? Um, so, and in this class, we're talking about texts and translations that are hundreds and hundreds of years old, centuries old. Um, times have changed so much. So it's imperative that we equip ourselves with tools and resources to help us put the Bible in its proper context. Because what happens when we take it out of context, when we don't understand what's really going on, um, is it becomes very easy for us to twist and manipulate Scripture to fit our lives and our beliefs instead of allowing Scripture to mold and shape us. And that's, that's what we want to do, right? We want the Scripture to change us. We don't want to put our own biases and beliefs on the Word. And that's why context is so important. Um, so like I mentioned a thousand times, uh, my biggest aim here is to give you resources, is to give you tools. So tonight I want to talk about four different tools you can use that will help you understand the context, that will help you figure out who said this, when did they say this, why is the time frame important, right? And more importantly, how do I know that what I think is correct? Amen? Amen. So the four tools that I'm going to talk to you about tonight are cross-references, Bible dictionaries, Bible commentaries, and Google or search engines. Maybe some, some of you like, uh, I don't know, what's another search engine? Bing? Does anyone even use Bing? No, I didn't think so. Yahoo, Firefox, right? So the, the things that I'm going to talk about there apply to any search engine that you want to use, but I'm thinking probably most of us use Google. Um, so like I said, these tools are going to answer the other three questions of hermeneutics. Who said it? When did they say it? And how do I know my interpretation is correct? Um, the first one I want to talk about is cross-references. Um, so you can normally find cross-references in almost any Bible that you read. Um, typically, there will be a little number 
at the end of the verse, if you've ever been like, if you've ever just seen those little numbers and not known what they meant, that's usually what it is, um, either a definition or a cross-reference scripture um, that may be of interest to you because it's related to what you're reading. So another reason that I love the Blue Letter Bible is that it also provides a separate area for cross-references if that's something that you are interested in. And I forgot to change my slide. There you go. So cross-references are a way to easily view other scriptures that deal with the same concept you're reading about. Um, so just like you can go into the Blue Letter Bible app and click the concordance up at the top, there's also a separate section there for cross-references. Cross so in this example, I pulled up um, Acts 2.38 on the right there, um, and I could see that for the word repent, it lists all these other scriptures. And that's a great tool to have because when you see how that word is used in other contexts and in other stories, it helps you get a clearer understanding of that topic. Um, one thing I wanted to mention to you is that if you aren't very big on technology um, or looking stuff up on your cell phone or your tablet, one of my favorite tools for cross-referencing is the Thompson Chain Bible. So maybe one of the questions you had coming into this class was, is there a specific Bible that I would recommend? My, ans my personal answer to that would be the Thompson Chain Bible, and it's exactly for this reason. Um, you can pick one up from anywhere on Amazon. You can find them as low as $25 up to $60, just depending on what you want to spend. So not only does the Thompson Chain Bible include a concordance, like we talked about last week, um, that breaks down the Greek or Hebrew words, it also includes a chain of cross-references for different concepts. Um, so if I'm reading Acts 2.38, for example, in my Thompson Chain Bible, there will be, right next to that verse, a chain of different verses that I could read on the Holy Ghost, for example, or on repentance. Um, so cross-references are a great tool to determine how other scriptures and other verses speak about a particular subject. Um, it's a great tool if you want to complete a Bible study on a specific theme. So maybe you just want to study the Holy Ghost for a little bit. Cross-references are great for that because you can easily pull up those related verses. Does that make sense? Does anybody have questions about that, about cross-referencing? No? Okay. So the second resource that I wanted to mention is a Bible dictionary. Um, so a Bible dictionary, kind of along the same lines, is a resource to help you understand general Bible terms or topics or themes. So similar to cross-references, you can use a Bible dictionary to help you get to those themes and understand those things in a very easy-to-understand way of writing. I won't spend a lot of time on this, to be honest with you, because I personally think that the other things I'm talking about are a little more helpful, um, but I did just want you to know that Bible dictionaries are out there if you're interested. Um, they are included in the Blue Letter Bible app as well, so if that's something you want to check out, you can certainly do so. And then the third thing, and probably the biggest thing, I want to recommend to you is Bible commentaries. So a Bible commentary is a scholarly exposition of biblical texts, um, or 
a Bible study on a specific text. So besides a concordance, this is absolutely my favorite tool to use when studying scripture. Um, it really helps explain the scripture. There's a lot of context usually that's given with a commentary. Um, and a lot of times you'll even find an overview of the whole book. So I'll talk a little bit about this next week, but one of the things that I like to do is read my Bible by book. So before I start the book of Hebrews, for example, I want to know, okay, who wrote this? When, you know, when did they write it? The things that we've been talking about. And usually a Bible commentary will include a whole introduction to that specific book to give you all that context that really helps round that picture out for you. So my personal favorite commentary of the Bible, in case you're wondering, is the Matthew Henry commentary. So the Matthew Henry commentary of the Bible is widely regarded by most scholars as the best and most complete commentary that's available. And I've read many, but his is my favorite. Um, he was a minister in the 1600s who I absolutely believe had a gift of knowledge. So there are smart people, there are people who are smart, people who are intelligent, and then there's literally the spiritual gift of knowledge, and I absolutely 100% believe that he had that. Um, he was so intelligent that he had learned to read the Bible by the age of three. Three years old had learned to read the entire Bible. He was fluent in Latin, Greek, Hebrew, French. Um, so his mastery of the, those original languages and the history and the culture of that day really makes his insight invaluable. Um, in my opinion, there's the Matthew Henry commentary and probably go down like 100 spaces and then every other. Now that, that doesn't mean that that's how you will feel. You might not really like it. Um, but I think he just gives so much good information that I wanted to make sure to specifically point that out to you. Um, so you can find his commentary along with many, many, many others in that app. Um, and then one thing that I actually found out is that there's a standalone app for that as well. So if you start reading his commentary and you really like it, at least for iPhone users, I'm not sure about Android. I'm assuming it's probably the same. But if you go into your app store and just search Matthew Henry Bible Commentary, you'll find tons of options. Or again, if you're not a big technology person, you can go on Amazon, go to a bookstore, and find just a printed copy of his commentary. I really recommend it. Um, I, I think it's great. And there are several others out there that you could take a look at as well. Brother Jordan? Yes. Yep. So the great thing about the Blue Letter Bible is it's very easy, depending on which chapter of the Bible you're in or which book, it will automatically pull that up. So if I went to Acts chapter 2 and clicked on verse 38 and then clicked on Bible commentaries, Matthew Henry, it's automatically going to pull up. You'll see there at the bottom, commentary on Acts 2. And usually he'll have a summary or an overview of the chapter or the book as a whole as well. So highly recommend his commentary. Any other questions? Okay, and the last thing that I want to talk to you tonight about as far as tools is good old Google. 
Good old Google. So uh, um, Google's and search, Google and search engines are a broader way of searching for articles or research regarding a specific subject. Now, obviously, this is a tricky one. And probably some of you are like, no, she is not using Google as a tool, right? Um, Google gets a bad rap because it's very easy to find biased or misleading information, right? I'm sure you've all seen it. But with that being said, search engines can be a very powerful resource to find research that you otherwise would not have discovered, right? There's only so much you can find in the Blue Letter Bible app or any other app or, you know, anything that you can find. So it's a way to, to gather a lot of resources that you probably would not have known about otherwise. Um, the key to using a search engine is knowing how to properly filter. And there are many ways to do that. Um, so the, I know the text up here is a little bit small, so if you want a little more information on this afterwards, just let me know. Um, but I wanted to share with you three key filters that I use all the time when I'm Googling, whether it's Bible study or anything, right? Um, so the first little filter or little trick you can use in Google um, is something that will help you filter by website type. So you probably know that it's very easy nowadays for anyone and everyone to create a website if they want to. You don't need a degree. You don't need to be an expert on anything. If you want to pay $1.79 for a website name, you can make a website. Um, so it's very easy for anyone to create a website using like .com or .biz domains. But um, if you didn't know this, edu, like literally the letters, edu domains can only be bought from verified educational institutions, such as universities. So if I want to do a quick search in Google, but maybe I'm finding a lot of weird, sketchy .com websites that are just rubbing me the wrong way and I feel like aren't being very accurate. I can type what I want to search, and then at the end of that, just type site, like website, site, colon, dot, edu, or dot, gov, or whatever, to make sure that all of the search results that I get back are only coming from reliable websites. Right? If I want to look up scholarly things, things that I know people with degrees and expertise have written, I can just type site.edu, and that's going to filter everything so that I know the only websites I'm getting back have been verified educational institutions. So that's a really cool tool um, to use. It makes it a lot easier to find scholarly sources about a topic that you want to study. Now, I will tell you that depending on what exactly you're researching, you might not find much. I might not find much um, scholarly articles about some obscure Bible theme, right? But it is a quick and easy way to try and limit the types of websites that come up in your search results. Um, the second thing that you can use in Google that's a help is quotation marks. Simple enough. So now say you're trying to search for something specific. Maybe this has happened to you before. You're trying to search for something, and then you get all these results that like are not at all what you are intending to search about. 
right? You can use quotation marks around a specific word or phrase to keep all those extra results from popping up. Um, so if you type that specific word in quotation, so say I wanted to study repentance, but I only wanted to know about repentance in the book of Acts. I could just type in Google repentance and then put Acts and question marks, or not question marks, quotation marks, and that's going to ensure that every search result that I get literally has that word in quotations. So I'm not going to get any search results that don't have the word Acts in it. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you can also use a minus sign or like a subtract sign to filter in Google. So on the flip side, say that you're getting all these results and you want to weed out anything that contains a specific word. So maybe you've noticed you keep getting all these weird results that are about something or some person. You could type in your search results again and then whatever word or person you don't want showing up in your results, you can just type minus and that word. And that's going to make sure that any results that you get do not have that specific word in it. So you can use those three things to make sure that you're getting scholarly research and to try and, and you can use as many of these as you want, by the way. You can just keep typing them in. Um, so to make sure that you're getting scholarly information and to get rid of or make sure Google is including certain words or phrases that you want. So I know that was a lot of information and it's maybe a little confusing. Um, it's a very high level example of, of ways that you can use Google in a more powerful way. Um, there are many more ways to filter besides this. So if you have that problem a lot and you're interested in it, definitely look that up online because there's, there are ways that you can tailor everything so specifically and it can be a big help instead of scrolling through page after page after page to find what you want. Any questions on that? No? Okay, and finally, I want to talk to you tonight about how to recognize a valid source. This is so important in our day and age. You know, the, the Bible talks about how in the last days, you know, people will be increased with knowledge. Google is a perfect example of that. There is knowledge everywhere. And sometimes it's not very knowledgeable, right? So we have to know in this day and age, with so much information being thrown at us, how to recognize what is truthful, what is valid, what is credible, and what is not. Um, so this won't really apply to cross-references, but the rest of these things that I've mentioned to you, the Bible commentaries, search engines, Bible dictionaries, those things, even though they're powerful and even though they can be helpful, they can also be flawed and they can also be biased because they're written by people, right? Um, so because of this, I want to talk to you about how to recognize credible sources. And this goes back to that validation step of hermeneutics that I've talked to you about. So you may know what it says, you may know what it means, you may know who wrote it and when they wrote it, but how do you know that your interpretation is correct? We have to fact check ourselves. Um, and so that's what I want to show you how to do. So this applies, just as a side note, this applies to Bible study, but it also applies to all walks of life. Amen. As an English major, this is probably my biggest pet peeve is when 
people repeat information that is false, that is not true, right? So um, just before you share that Facebook post or that meme or that article on Facebook, run it through these steps first, right? Just because I'm going to blow your minds right now, just because someone wrote it does not necessarily mean that it's true. Just because it looks like a news article does not necessarily mean it's true. Just because it says it on Wikipedia does not mean that it's true. Wikipedia said that Michael Phelps' parents were fish for months, months, okay? So just because you read it online, just because you read it on Facebook does not mean that it's true. And I, I told you guys that we are called to be truth bearers, right? I think that applies to every walk of life not just about scripture. I think we have an obligation to make sure that what we're teaching others and what we're saying to others is truthful. Amen? Amen. I'll jump off my soapbox now. So, some things that you can ask yourself to figure out if a source that you're using is actually valid. Number one, who is the author? Who is the author? The biggest red flag that you could find for an article or a piece of information is that the author is not listed, right? The author is not listed. I have no idea who wrote this. It could be some weirdo Joe Schmo in his basement just writing whatever he feels like writing that day, right? We need to know who wrote it because, the second thing, we need to know why should I believe them, right? I know who you are and I know what you're saying, but why should I believe what you're saying? Right? How, are, how do I know that you are credible? What are your qualifications? Right? Do you have a degree in this? Have you studied this? Have you lived this? How do I know that I should be listening to the information that you're giving me? The third thing, um, who is funding their research, if anybody? So a lot of times, especially when you're talking about scholarly articles or news articles and, and things like that, there are people with big pockets behind that information. And it's important for you to know, is there a, a bigger organization behind this that is funding this research, that has funded this article? That's very important because you want to know, if there is, the next one, what is their motive in publish publishing this information? Are they doing it out of the kindness of their hearts? Or is there some kind of agenda that they are looking to push? Whether it's a religious agenda, a political agenda, it can be a number of things. But we need to be able to recognize, is there someone else behind this? And whether there is or isn't, what is the motive in publishing this? Um, and then the next one, what sort of biases might they have, right? Um, one thing that I look at a lot if I'm looking at a, a university website, for example, is, you know, what does this person study? What are they passionate about? Is it possible that, you know, their biases or their life experiences might be tainting what they're trying to say, right? So we, you have to be able to recognize, is this something that's objective? Is it purely about facts? Or are they putting their spin on it or their opinion on it? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You might agree with them. But you still need to learn how to recognize that. 
how to recognize that it's that someone has may have something to gain by you accepting this information. Another big red flag is what kind of ads are present. If I click on a website and there are ads left and right jumping out at me that are a little bit crazy, I'm out of there. <laughs> That's a big red flag because uh, you know, this isn't always the case, but especially if you're finding tons of ads, there's a good chance that the person running that website is getting paid for those ads running there. And if someone is getting paid to publish something, there's a good chance that what they're saying might not be unbiased, right? So that's another thing you could look at. Um, and then the last two, where are they getting their information? Where are they getting their information? If they give you no indication as to where they're coming up with this stuff, there's a 50-50 chance they could just be making it up, right? I read a quote on Facebook that said, like Abraham Lincoln said, nine out of 10 things on Facebook you read are untrue, right? <laughs> where are they getting their information? Are they just making up these statistics, right? Or have they cited their sources? Can you scroll down to the bottom of that website and see exactly where they're getting that information? And as a side note, if you do see that, it's always a good idea to check that information out as well because it might help you even more. Um, and then lastly, do other valid sources back up what this person is saying? So I'm not going to tell you that there that every time you can't figure out who an author is, that that information is incorrect. But you definitely want to approach that with some scrutiny. Is this the only person on the World Wide Web saying this, right? Or are there scholars? Are there people with degrees who've dedicated their lives to studying this? Do they back up what's being said? If you can't find people, valid sources to back up what that specific person is saying, chances are it's garbage, right? So again, this is, this is stuff you always want to run through when you're looking at Bible commentaries and Google articles and, and things like that because ultimately, what is Bible study about? Understanding the Word, right? And along with that, it means when you're taking on these other sources, you need a way to know whether the information that you're getting is correct. Amen? Amen. So remember that before you share Facebook stuff, or I will hunt you down. <laughs> Amen. So these are all questions that you're going to want to ask to make sure that the history or the context that you're bringing into your Bible study time is accurate and truthful. And again, it's a personal responsibility, right? I don't expect you to just accept every word that I'm up here saying to you. Fact check me, right? Rightly divide the word like we talked about, right? You don't just accept other people's word for it. Know the truth for yourself. Amen. So to end tonight, I want to do uh, a group activity, actually. So we've gone over a lot of information in the last three weeks. A lot of information. I feel like I've just dumped on you for the last three weeks. Um, so I've given you resources you can use to figure out the author, the time period, what the text says, what it means, and now you know how to validate 
your interpretation, right? So to end our class tonight, I want to put all that we've learned into action for just a little bit. So you can do this alone if you prefer, but I think it would be really cool to maybe grab a couple of people around you and just spread out, form some little groups, and I'll kind of tell you what the next steps are. So if you want to work with a partner, which I think will help you and I think it will broaden your understanding a little bit, just grab them, find a place in here, anywhere, and we'll get started once everybody is settled. I'll give you like two minutes. There we go. I got it, Brother Pete. All right. So the first thing I want you to do if you've got a partner um, is designate one person to take notes. So decide amongst yourselves who is taking the notes. No pressure. If you're by yourself, you are taking the notes. Amen. Amen. So hopefully you figured that out by now. Um, and what I want us to do is to look at this scripture here. So John 7.38 says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So before you start digging, before you do anything else, and I'm going to tell you all the instructions first, so don't do it yet. But the first thing I want you to do with your partner or with your group or with yourself is to ask, what do you think this means initially? Before you read any other resources or anything like that, what do you think this means? Okay? And then after you've talked about that for a little bit, I want you to start digging deeper. I want you to read, maybe read a couple verses before and after for t context clues. Look up keywords in a concordance so you know what the Greek says or what the Hebrew says. Maybe compare a few different translations, right? Maybe pull up Matthew Henry's commentary or someone else's commentary and see what they have to say about it. Uh, maybe use, use Google or something to look up possible themes or words or symbols right? And then so after you've done that for about 10 minutes, I want you to, to just discuss a little bit. Now that you've dug a little deeper, now that you've brought other resources in, now that you have some context, what does it mean to you after that? All right, so start off trying to brainstorm what you think it means, and then you can start digging, and I'll let you know um, when we're done.